everyone, and welcome to the Board of Multnomah County Commissioner's Board Briefing. Audience members, I want to start by asking you to please silence your electronic devices. Um, for all presenters, please state your name for the record before speaking or responding to questions. Today's first briefing is on the Green Gresham, Healthy Gresham tree planting and future tree planting efforts with our own John Boschatinsky. Good morning. Good morning, Chair. Good morning, Commissioners. My name is John Boschatinsky. I'm the Multnomah County Director of Sustainability, and I'll let my colleagues here introduce themselves as well. Is it on? It's on, yeah. Okay. Good morning, Commissioners. I'm Tina Nunez-Ostrink. I'm um, the Natural Resource and Parks Planner for the City of Gresham. And good morning, Commissioners. My name is Megan Vandemark. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm the Deputy Director of Friends of Trees. Awesome. Next slide, please. Well, we're really excited to talk to you today about um, an effort that, you know, we've been working on in partnership with Friends of Trees and um, the city of Gresham for over six years now that we've been calling Green Gresham, Healthy Gresham. Um, so we're going to tell you all about this program, but we're not going to stop there. Uh, we're going to also uh, talk about what's happening today, uh, you know, as we speak, all the planning that's going on and what's happening into the future as um, new grant funding and new funding becomes available, not just in the city of Gresham, but also in East County. So really excited to um, talk about uh, the future of the partnership. Um, next slide, please. So, so where did, uh, why, why did we start this program to begin with? Um, well, it, part of it started by asking folks uh, what they wanted. Um, back in 2016, we um, got some technical assistance from the Environmental Protection Agency um, and hosted a series of um, community events, uh, including this one at the uh, Rose, Rosewood, Rose, Rosewood Initiative. Rosewood Initiative. Um, and we, we talked to people about what was going on in their neighborhood and um, what kind of uh, changes they would want to see um, in, that, in that part of the community. And uh, you know, there was a lot of priorities and, uh, that came out of it, but one of the ones that we were able to um, take action on uh, between the city and the, the county was to um, look at tree canopy. Next slide, please. Um, and the reason that we were focused in on this is because at the time, uh, the EPA uh, looked, as part of their analysis, uh, reached out to um, the research triangle um, at where they have all their scientists uh, based, and they, asked, they actually looked at satellite data, data and found that um, you know, some of these major corridors uh, within the um, community, um, especially Rockwood, tended to be really hot during the day. Um, lots of impervious surface, wide roadways, and not a lot of tree canopy cover um, led to what uh, is known as urban heat islands. Um, and so we knew that addressing um, tree canopy would be one way to, planting trees would be one way to address uh, tree, uh, the, the urban heat islands. And um, you know, the saying goes that the best time to plant a tree was 30 years ago, and the second best time to plant a tree is today. Um, so that's what we set out to do. Next slide, please. We also looked at the existing uh, tree canopy cover throughout all of Gresham, and this is data that um, comes from the city of Gresham. Um, and through that, we identified three neighborhoods to look at, uh, in particular the three that you see here, Wilkes East, North Gresham, and the Rockwood neighborhood. Um, and the reason was because they had lower than average tree canopy. Next slide, please. Um, and the citywide uh, tree canopy average is 28%, which is actually quite good. Um, but when you look into these other neighborhoods, you see um, much lower uh, average tree rates. And then if you look, and as we'll talk about later, as you look at specific areas, 
uh, within the neighborhoods, you see a really low tree canopy cover. We had also looked at um, a type of uh, analysis that the uh, county had produced, which was a vulnerability analysis that looked at, you know, where poverty and um, high populations of uh, people of color and other folks uh, were living. And uh, Rockwood really jumped out in that process. And so we really wanted to focus on these areas where there was um, high need and low tree canopy cover. And we'll talk more about the environmental justice research that's come out more recently um, in, in a couple of minutes. Uh, next slide, please. So we set out to um, get some money, uh, and that we applied, uh, Tina and, and Friends of Trees and I applied to, and feel free to jump in here anytime, this is, I tell my story here. Uh, we applied to the East Multnomah Soil and Water Conservation District. Uh, we're blessed here, Multnomah County has two soil and water conservation districts, one on the east side, one on the west side. Um, and the one on the east side uh, has grants called Partners in Innovation Grants. Uh, and we applied for some funding, uh, and we had a few goals uh, in mind. Um, one was to plant, uh, and I'll talk about those goals in a second, but really our, our big thing that we were trying to do was to encourage tree planting um, at a more institutional level in the city of Gresham. Unlike the city of Portland, the city of Gresham at the time didn't have a formal tree planting program. So, you know, whereas uh, for those of us who are sort of have experienced Friends of Trees planting here in the city of Portland, you know that you kind of show up on a rainy Saturday and you get together with other, other uh, awesome folks and you eat donuts and you go out, uh, get some trees and you plant them. Um, and that's because the city of uh, Portland has funded uh, street tree planting and tree planting for many years now, um, often in partnership with the city of Gresham. I'm sorry, with the city, <laughs> with Friends of Trees. Um, but city of Gresham didn't have that. So really one of the outcomes we were seeking was like how do we build uh, momentum, community support, um, and uh, political support for uh, you know sustained tree planting because it really that's what really it takes. If we're going to address urban heat island and deficits in tree canopy, we can't just view it as one or two plantings. We really have to view it as um, you know a generational effort. Um, there's a researcher here uh, in Portland uh, at Portland State, um, Dr. Vivek Shandas, and he says really you need to see it from space. And once you start seeing the impact uh, in the satellite imagery and you start seeing that tree canopy expanding, that's when you know you're having success. Um, and we're not quite there yet. Um, and so, so that means that we, you know, these, these types of efforts are really important, especially as we see a warming climate um, coming into effect. Uh, and so one of our big goals, obviously, was to plant trees. Um, and here, there's a couple of pictures. Uh, Commissioner Stegman, shout out to you. Uh, you can see it's COVID era, so we're wearing masks as we plant our trees. Um, that, that's my little uh, three-year-old at the time there in the corner. I, I couldn't resist because he's so cute with his fat cheeks. Um, and he's now a seven-year-old, right? So this has been a, this has been a, a very long uh, process, I guess. And you can see that we're getting lots of people together. Um, we're bringing this uh, community event, this positive community event that, you know, formerly was just in the city of Portland in our region, and maybe up in the city of Vancouver, out to the city of Gresham so we can have this. And this is right, right in the parking lot of our East County Courthouse, um, this particular event. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, we also want to do outreach and education. We talked about this idea of like building community support. Uh, and so we've had a number of forums. Uh, one time we had researchers come out uh, from the US Forest Service and come talk to the community about how trees like lead to healthier children at birth. 
how trees lead to lower speeds uh, on, on roadways, how trees lead to um, more shopping in business districts, right? So trees have all these knock-on effects beyond the obvious ones of cooling the environment um, plus, they make us feel better. They make us happier uh, when we're around trees. How many poems have you heard about a tree in the past? How, uh, what a hopeful sign in the spring when the trees start to leaf out. Um, and so we really wanted to bring that message to, to folks. Um, and we've had a number of, of those kind of community forums for adults. We've tabled at events. That's Gary the Oak up there in the corner coming out to rock the block. Uh, we've had community, we've had um, educational events at uh, schools. Um, and uh, just you know, a number of opportunities to come and talk directly to the community and ask people to um, actually sign up and plant a tree. We'll be doing it again uh, this very Saturday at um, the Learn, Share, Do event in East County, um, which I sent an email out about. Um, Friends of Trees will be there. Go ahead, Tina. Yeah, I just wanted to say that um, through the grant, through East Multnomah Soil and Water, um, to plant trees, it means for the resident, it's a free tree because that gets subsidized. So I think that's a key part of the story, and I just want to make sure that that was shared today. Yeah, thank you very much for that. Um, and next slide, please. And I think the really cool and innovative part of what we did was we didn't, you know, we could we could have just planted trees, um, and that would have been pretty simple because friends of trees, they're pros, they know how to do this really really well. Uh, but there's more that you need for success. Um, and one of the things you really need is data. You need information about what's going on with your tree canopy. Um, and when I was, uh, you know, uh, volunteering for the Portland Parks and Rec Department, we did this really neat tree inventory project. We went out in my neighborhood of Cully and we uh, found all the street trees, uh, you know, on Saturdays and measured them and found out what species they were and, uh, you know, uh, all that stuff. Um, and then the city of, uh, was able to, the city of Portland was able to take that information and really get a comprehensive look at all the street trees in my neighborhood. And they did that for every neighborhood in Portland. And they kind of know like every block where there's an available space to plant a tree. Um, and it's been an incredible effort. But we didn't have that data for um, the city, uh, for the city of um, Gresham. And that was part of Tina's uh, strategic plan, forestry strategic plan, right? And so we saw that as an opportunity to hire young people through the, um, sorry, the Summer Works program. Um, so with the grant, we were able to hire a seasonal manager. Um, and then we'd have um, up to six young people working with that seasonal manager to go out and do a variety of activities. Um, this data piece, you see the uh, young person there measuring the uh, DBH um, of the tree. Uh, how thick the tree is that helps us get an uh, idea of the size of it. Um, they were out uh, doing some light tree maintenance, so learning about how to properly prune and care for trees, uh, doing weeding, doing watering sometimes throughout the summer. They knocked on doors. They um, asked people if they wanted to plant a tree, um, left behind literature, tabled at events. Um, and uh, when we had some uh, disruptions during the, the COVID era, we actually were planting some trees because we were doing it in the winter. Here in Portland, we only plant in the winter because that's when it's raining. Go ahead, Tina. Yeah, and then at the end of this uh, cohort each year for the last, what, five years, um, we help them with their resume. So it's this workforce development component and say, look what you did, community outreach, planting, it's technical and social. So I thought that's something to, that it's a real plus of the program. Yeah, if you go to the next slide, please. 
Um, and there, here's just an example of the data they collected. So the green dots, those are places where trees are today. Um, and you can actually, this isn't a live slide, but like if you are in the um, ArcGIS uh, program, you can actually hover over one of those dots. And when you see a green dot, you could kind of get all that St vital statistics, uh, vital tree statistics, like how big is the tree, what kind of tree is it, all that stuff. Um, you know, what are the conditions, what kind of conditions is it living in. Um, and then the blue dots, those are tree planting opportunities. That's where, those are spots um, that our young people identified where we can plant some trees. So now we have data um, where Friends of Trees can, you know, send a postcard um, to those addresses and say, hey, would you like this free tree? Um, so that's really important information. And, you know, Unfortunately, you see a lot of blue dots on that slide. So one of our goals over time is to convert those blue dots into green dots so that we can um, make sure that we're taking advantage of those opportunities. Um, and you can see we've got a lot more work to do in terms of uh, <laughs> getting, more, getting more data. Um, but it's been a really cool uh, collaboration between um, Friends of Trees, City of Gresham, and us in terms of uh, our GIS team to kind of uh, figure out how to collect this data and. Um, make sure that we're um, taking advantage of these young people, um, their talent. Next slide, please. And of course, because we have an amazing communications team, uh, we uh, got this really cool video, so it's only a couple of minutes long, but if uh, we'll just play it real quick, if you don't mind, Tasha. This is the Gresham Tree Team, so they're gonna be learning how to do different urban forestry activities and also just those basic first job training skills. Their main job of street tree inventory is baseline data for the city of Gresham. So the city of Gresham does not have any data in terms of where street trees are in their neighborhoods. The Rockwood, Wilkes East, North Gresham area um, has very low urban tree canopy compared to the rest of Gresham. We met like measure trees and we just plot where they are, see how healthy the trees are and see which area needs more trees so it can like increase the air quality and like the health of the area. This data will be used for the city of Gresham to make decisions um, in the future on urban forest policies and just where hopefully they can plant more trees so that they have the same access to greenery and beautiful spaces as everyone else. Kim taught us about all the different trees, uh, the leaf structures and all that type of stuff. And that was the moment where I was like, oh, all these trees have names. And there's like, you know, all different sorts of qualities about them. That was like the moment where I was like, that's pretty neat, that's awesome, so. They have learned skills to be able to work in environmental science, environmental management, um, habitat restoration, so they could be biologists, they could be some sort of researcher, um, but it doesn't necessarily have to be science-based. So they learned community engagement skills, they learned data collection. Um, I've always had a really tough time trying to communicate with folks, so now I got that under my belt, learning to be resilient in the rain and the heat and everything. They've done so many activities at this point that they could really use those job skills in any job. Yeah, and talk about resilience, right? Because as we're trying to address the climate crisis with these young people by um, gathering data, getting ready to plant trees, we've had to deal with smoke, extreme heat, 
um, you know, all sorts of seasonal seasonal issues, uh, <laughs> plus a plus a pandemic for a little while. So it was, uh, it's it's been a lot of adap adaptation um, as we go. But I love um, what that young person said when, uh, you know, kind of losing their green blindness. It's not just a it's not just a, all this green stuff. It's actually the green stuff has names. Um, it has. You know, you can eat the the fruit. Um, there was uh, met some, you know, one summer people were, were like really stoked on figs all of a sudden and being able to like eat a fig for the first time. It's it's a really neat it's a really neat process. So next slide, please. Oh, not that. <laughs> all right. So um, over uh, the course of the grant, and we're, we're we are getting I should say we are getting close to the end of our. Uh, of our funding from the Soil and Water Conservation District it ends in April. Uh, we had 22 youth uh, come through our program. Uh, we planted over 500 trees, and that exceeded our goal of 425 trees. Um, we inventoried thousands of different uh, individual locations, maintained hundreds of trees, uh, recruited homeowners for tree planting, um, and conducted outreach and education. So um, it's been a really, really fun and really uh, rewarding uh, partnership. So now I'm going to kind of switch gears a little bit. Next slide, please. Uh, and talk about some new data. Some because I mean, uh, as we've been uh, doing this project, um, we've continued to collect information. Um, and when the chair was a commissioner, um, she asked uh, the health department, in partnership with the Office of Sustainability, to develop a set of environmental justice indicators. Um, and so we looked at tree canopy as being one of those environmental justice indicators. And the way the um, health department conducted this analysis is they looked at the census tracts with the highest proportion of um, white population and the highest proportion of people of color population in the county, and then compare them across these environmental indicators. And one of the strongest indicators, and statistically, was tree canopy. We saw the biggest disparities in tree canopy. So areas um, of the county with the highest proportion um, of people of color had tended to have the lowest amount of tree cover, right? So we know that this is an environmental justice issue. Next slide, please. Um, the health department also recently updated their heat vulnerability index. And we see, again, this area that um, has uh, a variety of different issues. I'm kind of centering in on the census block um, right around Rockwood. Uh, we know that this, this area has a very high vulnerability to heat. If you go to the next slide, please. And um, the way the health department put together this um, map tool that we can visit on our website um, is sensitivity, so how, how uh, susceptible um, is the population. So old, you know, older adults, younger uh, people are more sensitive to extreme heat. Exposure that really gets at you know how much unpaved you know how much paved area is there how many trees are there adaptive capacity is how many air conditioners what kind of community assets are in the area and that kind of leads toward heat vulnerability and we see this kind of middle part of the county West Gresham East Portland really popping out as being highly susceptible to extreme heat now this is not the only areas we know that there, but just since we're kind of talking about the zone um, and stay on that. Next slide, please. Um, and then in the wake of the um, 2021 heat dome, uh, one of the actions that we committed to uh, was to do an even more detailed analysis of heat islands. We partnered with Kappa Strategies, um, and we actually, uh, uh, Kappa established uh, driving routes um, throughout East County, and uh, using a 
sensitive tool that measured temperature, humidity, location, and time. Uh, we drove these routes three times um, on a hot day. And uh, we did this to understand where is it hot in the morning, where is it hot in the afternoon, and where is it hot in the evening, right? And by having that kind of um, diurnal pattern of heat distribution, we, we know which places get the hottest during the day, and crucially, what places stay hot during the night. Um, because that, because the body, the human body, but you know, also the tree body, uh, requires um, a little bit of a break in order to recover. And um, if it's hot during the night, then that, that break isn't there. And so we were able to, you know, really looking at East County here, and we see sort of the rural kind of outer areas beyond the urban growth boundary, typically, um, being much cooler during the during the day um, than the urban areas that close that are that are that are closer in. Next slide, please. And you know we 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 can understand why the hottest areas the areas um, this is in Gresham the high the hottest areas are the areas with the least tree cover the most roofs the most uh, pavement. Um, and so you know these are. Uh, typically, we see industrial areas really as being the hottest areas, um, you know, because we have like big warehouses, a big roof or whatever, um, lots of parking spaces uh, to accommodate industrial traffic. Um, but in, in Gresham, we actually see um, residential areas, some residential areas also being extremely hot. Next slide, please. Um, and here we have Rockwood again, right? Um, this is the Rockwood Triangle. and. Um, the Sunrise Center is now closed, but during the heat dome um, and some of the subsequent events, we were using Sunrise as a cooling center. And um, you can see why that location was so important. Um, even though this is a commercial corridor, right all around it um, is uh, residential areas. And um, you have the MAC station, bus stops. You have an area that is extremely vulnerable to heat. Um, and so having that cooling center there was literally life-saving for, for a lot of people who were able to utilize it. Um, so I'm going to kind of stop talking a little bit now uh, or talking quite as much. I'm going to turn it over to my colleagues and um, maybe talk a little bit more about solutions. So next slide, please. Okay. Um, so this slide is the Rockwood Triangle. You saw that in the smaller picture John was just showing. Um, and what we did a few years back, we partnered with Junka Studio and did a landscape analysis. So we looked at what the problems are and what some solutions could be, some site interventions. So what the problem is for this specific area, and it's very, you know, it's an opportunity to be very tangible. It's Burnside, 181st, Stark. And so um, what we found is in this area, there's like 8% canopy cover and it's about 90% impervious surface. So we set a goal for this, kind of using some um, metrics that Dr. Sanjas and Capital Strategies provided. And to, to get it this place up to 32%, the, the canopy goal for this area, we'd have to plant 425 trees. So that's what you see um, in this area, you know, opportunity to plant some trees, but also to maybe plant trees next to buildings to reduce that internal building temperature, for instance. Um, plant green roofs, do some pavement removal. Um, that's where the heat gets absorbed in the pavement, right? So um, we went out for a FEMA heat mitigation, like a hazard mitigation grant a few, like about a year and a half ago. We worked with Dave Lensner from your emergency management department. He's here with us today behind us. And we got what um, I think is one of the first in the country, a hazard mitigation for heat. Um, 
to reduce the, mitigate the effects of heat in rockwood. And so what that's gonna allow us to do is to plant 50 trees. Um, doesn't sound like a lot, but what we're gonna do is, is use structural soil. So that is a method that will allow in these very constrained urban environments to get these trees to be bigger and healthier and then their return on investment is better and, and you can grow that shade for the community members and for the human corridors that you see surrounding this area. So I just wanted to share that um, as, a, as a structural, you know, or a site, um, a site intervention, but also it's something to kind of build off of in the future. And we'll be getting that 300,000 grant any day now and, you know, start moving forward. But I think Megan may be talking about how we can get to, you know, the other 375 trees, because 50 trees, you know, that's gonna be 425 trees that we need, but we can make up the difference with some additional funding. Next slide, please. Yeah, so kind of in everything is in partnership, right? Like with all of us here. So we're hosting a memorial tree planting on March 16th, so in a little less than a month. And, you know, that's going to be in honor of the 72 people that died, um, you know, the 69 during the heat down in, in June of 2021 and three during a subsequent event, right? So it's an event to memorialize the loss of those folks' lives, right? I think that's a, it's really important to, to kind of focus on that loss and then the strategies that we can take to ensure that that doesn't happen again, you know? And it, it is going to take all of us working together. So um, I would encourage all of you um, to come out um, if you're available to plant on that day to really witness it. And we, we've been working very collaboratively with both John and Tina to really do comprehensive outreach to the community to um, plant free, again, street trees. Um, and there is a reason that there is a focus on street trees when you think about urban heat, right? Where is the pavement? So those placement of trees really matters, right? You're, you're trying to reduce heat, so you need shade to reduce heat. So that really is the focus of at least this event, although I see this event of one of many. I don't know if the next slide. And I just want to yeah. just add really quickly that um, this is thanks to the Board of County Commissioners. The chair included um, uh, the funding for the memorial planting, and we were able to run an RFP process and hire um, friends of tree, our friends at Friends of Trees um, to uh, lead on this work. So um, really excited to extend that partnership a little further. Yeah, and actually on the next slide, I think this really talks about how we're hoping to continue um, continue these partnerships and really, and I would love for Tina to jump in in a moment here as well, is it was through initial conversations with all of us that we were really thinking about how to partner together when there was this federal opportunity through the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, there was $1.5 billion that is being dedicated to urban and community forestry. And we were talking about a collaborative approach um, to doing that work. And kind of through conversations, we decided to focus um, in large part on East Portland and Gresham because of what we've been talking about, right? Like, in our region, um, where are folks um, kind of in most vulnerable to a lot of myriad of factors, right? Where do low-income residents live? Where are higher diversity um, racially? Where's the lowest tree canopy, the highest urban heat, right? That's exactly what we've been talking about. That is East Portland and Gresham. 
So um, we kind of pulled together and decided to do a collaborative um, grant application with 11 um, different individuals. And so um, listed here, we have APANO, um, the Black Parent Initiative, City of Gresham, City of Portland, Columbia Slough Watershed Council, um, Connecting Canopies, which is a coalition um, led by the Nature Conservancy, the Blueprint Foundation, and the, um, the Intertwine Alliance, as well as DePave, um, Friends of Trees, um, POIC, which is the Portland Opportunities Industrialization Center, um, Verde and Wisdom of the Elders. So we all um, collaborate, um, collaborated on it. Friends of Trees led that application. Um, so we are all awarded through that application. It is five years. We are awarded $12 million. Um, and through that, over the next five years, what we're going to be doing is kind of, I would say it's like a six-tiered process. We'll be doing community tree planting and restoration. We'll be doing kind of tree care, think like pruning um, and kind of site maintenance. We'll be doing just general community education, and I can talk a little bit more about what that looks like. Um, a lot of focus on equitable outreach. Um, workforce development to kind of talk about what we've been doing before and then also urban forestry planning and, and Tina can talk about that in a, in a minute and the reason that this is so important is we can't do this alone right like how do you like why are we working with this whole coalition like to do this work well you need a whole coalition of people because it it can be hard when you're trying to think who is the most vulnerable. It can be hard to make a bridge, right? So we're trying to remove barriers for community members. And that may mean some of the ways that we've done outreach in the past isn't going to work. So how do you really engage people in that process and engage the people that you're trying to serve in that process? So we will be planting um, well over a thousand trees. There will all be free trees. Um, they will all be mulched and we'll be doing establishment watering for free on all of them. And that's just one part of it um, but as a coalition we're meeting regularly um, so that we have a collaborative approach and how we're going to do that work because I think we deeply believe that to do this work to remove barriers to kind of change the landscape in these communities we cannot do it alone right that's why we have 11 11 organizations and all of the community that all of us reach through that um, but I think we also understand part of the process is changing urban forestry management planning, right? And so I'd at least like to, you know, to talk a little bit about that part um, for the city of Gresham within the application. Yeah, um, with regards to planning, so we're going to be updating our tree code in Gresham, which hasn't been done since 2015. Lots changed. Our demographics have shifted quite a bit. And so we're going to create this equity um, framework for the for this planning process, the policy piece. So it's an important piece. It's not the only piece to get more trees and shade in a community, but it's something that will like live on beyond this even the life of the grant. Um, and then you know we'll also be doing the planting with our transportation department along our street, our, our corridors in the Justice 40 areas. Um, and again, this is like an area of this of the county that is more diverse and. Um, and has lower income than much more than the state as a whole. So the impact is huge, and I do think the federal uh, government uh, uh, saw that, and it just really struck struck them that this place, this this very important place in in Oregon needs needs a lot of um, assistance, and we're going to be linking up to do that with all, with the coalition. Yeah, I should say 1.5 billion sounds like a lot, but when you start thinking about the size of our country and all the communities throughout it, um, territories, um, 
it just speaks to the strength of the coalition that Friends of Trees brought together, um, that they were successful in getting this, this, this size, this big of a grant. Yeah, and one thing I would just add within it is this was made possible because of partnerships, not only with the county and the city, but like Friends of Trees has been working with these other nonprofits for many years, some for decades, right? So I think it, we knew that the strength of partnership is what was going to get us there. And I would just highlight, like, there's a lot of things that we'll do that we've done before. There's a lot of things that we're going to do differently, right? We're going to try new things. Um, it may be more smaller plantings. It may be more targeted plantings, right? Like Spanish language plantings for small groups, right? Like planting at schools. Like, it's going to give us the opportunity to try to do some of this differently. Um, but kind of speaking of, like, the, the work that John spoke to, earlier, a really key part of this is workforce development. So a lot of the kind of partners involved have workforce development programming. And so it's going to drive five years of funding to help build out these workforce development opportunities so we can continue to build the future, right? To like, to have the folks that we're all collectively hoping to kind of serve, be very part of that, and then be the ones leading it in the future, right? Um, so I think that's just critical to this. And next slide. And that's it for us, our presentation. We're happy to take any questions. Great. Well, thank you um, all so much for this presentation and for all the work that's happening in East County. I know um, when the Heap Dome incident happened, there was, um, you know, the really wonderful report that really showed <clears throat> the areas within the city of Portland that were impacted the most, and the Lens neighborhood was really one that rose to the top. But I think having this work done. Um, to look at the rest of the county and East County in particular is incredibly important. And then to hear about kind of the programs and actions that you're taking to really um, use the data and the information that was developed to make a difference on what we're seeing, especially in the ways that impacts um, um, our communities of color and other low income communities um, so profoundly is, is fantastic. So I um, appreciate the time today. I'm gonna go to um, the board for any questions or comments on the presentation, but just wanna thank you. Um, Commissioner Myron, we'll start with you. Um, thank you all for providing the presentation. I was listening uh, during my uh, drive-in, and so I appreciate it. Um, I guess my comments are related to, are not necessarily related to what what you presented here today because um, it's the timing of the agenda item is not at all your fault and so um, this subject is important very important and it's a great program wonderful people are doing it so I appreciate that but I think um, what's striking to me is that after canceling um, and avoiding holding public meetings uh, so often on a day when the county chair is actively trying to avoid blame about ambulance emergency response we're taking a half hour to talk about planting trees I just think um, that that is, a, it's something I can't, I. Commissioner Myron. Yes. In respect for the people who are here and who are dedicating their lives to this work and have taken the time to be here present this morning on time, can we please have any questions or comments related to the subject matter directed to them instead of 
having them have to listen to things that are not at all related to the, to the information and the work that they did in, in putting together this presentation today. Two things. Um, I'm happy to save my comments if you'll give me time to express them later at this meeting. And I would point out that the emergency response is actually very, if heaven forbid anyone had to call an ambulance and was not able to get a response, this is probably more important on a actual emergency basis than anything that we are discussing in this boardroom today. But um, I would be happy to defer my comments um, until after, provided I have the opportunity to um, express them. There's about five minutes um, yeah, later. So, so this is a this is a board briefing, and we have a board briefing on this presentation, and then we have a work session where we're going to be discussing um, proposed changes to the Metro Supportive Housing Services Metro. That's what's on the agenda today. That's what we're going to be discussing. So, so I would just conclude then that um, the, fa the, the Herculean efforts to avoid talking about ambulance response and emergencies is mind-blowing to me, and um, I just watch it happening, and as a board, I think our responsibility is to hold the chair to account in terms of bringing things to the attention of the people for board meetings and allowing us to discuss what is literally costing lives of Multnomah County residents every day that you fail to act. And if we cannot talk about that here because we're talking about tree plantings, I think that's a problem and we should be talking as a board about what should be on public agendas rather than canceling meetings or talking about tree plantings. All right, that's it. So I will say for everyone to know we have and have had a briefing on the ambulance service response plan for the 29th that has been on the snapshot for a while. It has been planned. There are updates to board staff. There will be engagement with the, the county commission. Um, and that is our chance to have that conversation. And that has, been a, that has been something that we have been planning for and engaging work in for for several weeks now. So How many lives will be okay. cost by Please the do not interrupt. Please oh, just about saving lives when you're talking about an agenda item. I'm sorry. It's just hard to take. Commissioner Myron, your time is done. Commissioner Beeson, do you have any questions or comments for this? Thank you all. Um, I had a question. So I know that uh, the city is tree planning the city of Portland's tree planting work also had a stormwater component, and I just didn't know, I know that you all, Gresham is not on combined sewer, but what are, like how is stormwater factoring into the conversation about this work? Yeah, um, thank you. With the 50 trees, for example, in Rockwood, there will, the structural soil um, is, a, you know, that strategy is gonna be enhance our stormwater, you know, reduce the runoff and, and because those trees are gonna be able to do their job. A lot of the trees in the, in, in the urban environment can't do their job of stormwater runoff, especially with all that 90% pavement. So that's what that particular you know, site intervention is gonna show. So we're, we'd like to replicate that where we can. Like you said, some places you can, some places you can't. And one really interesting thing about um, the research we did was that we found um, in Rockwood, um, it's a drainage that kind of, uh, the watershed kind of goes to groundwater. 
um, as opposed to draining to surface water. And uh, because of the way the EPA um, stormwater program is run, uh, it really makes uh, sense to take your stormwater um, utility dollars and work to reduce runoff in areas that drain to surface water, because it's a surface water program. But unfortunately, that meant that areas like Rockwood uh, were not getting um, that stormwater money to plant trees. And so we've been, through our partnership, we've actually been able to um, kind of bring attention to that fact. And just from an equity perspective, um, you know, start really focusing on the Rockwood neighborhood as a place that needs, needs tree planting. Thank you. That's my question. Thank you. Hi, Commissioner Brian Edwards. Um, I really appreciate uh, the presentation, and I'm interested in, this is like a, a sort of a broader issue. Um, the Thinking back when we had the major heat events, um, it was interesting, the New York Times ran a, like four places in the U.S. of that didn't have, where tree canopy, um, lack of tree canopy was correlated with um, income. Mm. And, um, one of the four regions, or four or five, um, that they focused on was Portland, and they had this big satellite map that showed um, both Rockwood, but also the corridor along I-205, mm -hmm. so Lentz, Hazelwood, Palhurst, Gilbert, um, as being sort of the deficiency of the tree canopy um, and the impact of communities and the impact that had on sort of elevating temperatures as you yeah. discussed with Rockwood this morning. So I'm curious, um, just from the county's perspective, um, of course I'm interested in um, also, also, not instead of, um, also um, that corridor which runs through District 3 right. um, and has a big impact, especially during um, the extreme heat, heat events. Does the county have a, a larger plan, or is it still is it focused on this one area, or is there a look at the larger county where we have um, areas where there's a deficiency of tree canopy that's having impacts on disproportionate impacts on uh, communities? Yeah, thanks for the question, Commissioner. Um, so the as um, Megan was saying, partnership is really key for all of this, right? So we don't have a tree planting group necessarily. We kind of saw a gap that needed filling, but um, Portland Parks and Rec has been doing some incredible work. Um, and that's been combined with funding from the um, Portland Clean Energy Fund. That's really allowing uh, the city to um, address uh, the issues in East County in a more targeted way. So one example of that has been the um, funding that they dedicated to 82nd Street. Um, to look at that corridor in particular and not only plan for the transfer of that, what was a state highway to um, being a city road um, and the needed work to bring it up to, to city standards, but also to um, have, make sure there's money to plant trees throughout that entire corridor. They've also, um, a big obstacle to planting trees uh, for a lot of households is the obligation that you have to maintain a street tree. So the adjacent property owner is, is expected to um, maintain a street tree, um, and that can be a big expense, especially as the tree gets bigger. Um, and so a lot of, uh, and, and then also as like, like my neighborhood in, in East Cully, but um, you know, is very similar to a lot of places throughout East, East Portland, it's not always clear where, the, where you plant the tree, right? Because like maybe there's no sidewalk, maybe there's no paved road, maybe there's, um, you know, uh, not that well-defined tree planting pit like there would be. Um, so that combination of sort of um, ambiguity about the right place to plant a tree, 
um, combined with the financial obligation on the on the adjacent property owner has created a lot of barriers um, in lower income neighborhoods. And one of the cool things with the Clean Energy Fund, and, and Megan, I'm sure you can talk more to this, is that it's now uh, presenting opportunities not only to plant trees, but also to maintain trees um, in order to, uh, to to put that responsibility not onto the individual property owner, but to put it onto the city. I yeah, don't know if you want to. No, there's a proposal led by Carmen Rubio that's currently going before city council that would allow um, $100 million over five years within the city of Portland to go to street tree maintenance to speak to that. And, you know, that's not a long-term funding source by any means. We still need to identify that. I mean, really for the entire county, um, you know, it is one of the biggest barriers to people saying yes to trees. But um, that, that could make a really big difference um, if that is that passes through city council. So is the, is the county um, involved in the or partnering with the city on the, the city of Portland on the 82nd Avenue or anything related to, the, I mean, the 205 corridor is just, is hot. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what the, the current partnership we have with the city of Portland uh, is uh, um, they're updating their tree plan. There um, hasn't been updated, I think, in 20 plus years. And I'm on the technical advisory committee for that. So bringing in expertise from the county um, you know, from the county health department, for example, plus from our office, um, in order to help with the redevelopment of that plan. And um, I was really proud to help kind of, um, you know, foster a partnership between the city and Friends of Trees on this grant application. So we're definitely um, looking for opportunities to continue to work together. But, um, you know, the difference between the city of Portland and the city of Gresham is uh, they've got a bunch of Tinas, and the city of Gresham has one Tina, um, and the uh, which is a, which is amazing. Um, but the ability of the city to really tackle these issues on a more comprehensive basis is, is much is much bigger. Um, but we're really we're con, you know continuing to look for opportunities to partner with them. Great, I'll follow up with you maybe afterwards um, about just those two areas because until the city gets district representation. Um, there's not a lot of focus on yeah. south, Southeast. Um, so love to follow up just to see how the county is engaging with this, can engage with the city around other places. Because I think what's happened in Rockwood is um, it's an amazing start. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Segman. Thank you, Chair. I think we need more Tina's and more Megan's <laughs> and more John's. So uh, thank you so much for taking the time to prepare this briefing for us and to come. And it's just really great to have Gresham uh, in the house, so welcome, Tina. Uh, and I just wanted to uh, sadly point out, Megan, what you had mentioned, that during the 2021 Heat Dome event, over 60 people died. Many of those people were in Rockwood. Many of those people were in Gresham. And over 120 people died in the state of Oregon. So I do believe that the work that you are doing actually is life-saving work. If you are one of these individuals that live in a low-income community, we know the difference of standing in the sun when it's over 100 degrees and standing under the shade of a tree can be life-saving. So uh, I just wanted you to know how valuable the work that you do, and especially in my district, is absolutely critical. And hats off to Friends of Trees because 
I, I've gone and, and planted trees and I learned so much, but you all do the hard work because you have some volunteers, like they go out and they dig the holes for us. So like we show up and you know, we're doing all the easy work and we, you know, so we just get to see uh, a beautiful tree in the ground, but we didn't have to dig that hole. Uh, so anyway, I just really want to appreciate uh, all of the pre-work. Uh, and I also know that like um, when we planted trees along near the courthouse in Gresham, that some of those trees were damaged or dead or dying. And so it wasn't just planting new trees, but it really was caring uh, and replacing the existing tree canopy. So, uh, you know, I could go on and on and talk about lots of things, but uh, Friends of Trees is absolutely one of my favorite uh, community uh, partners. And I just, you know, in East County, the work that you do is life-saving. And I just wanna thank you all for being here. And I just want to thank you, first of all, I want to um, apologize for any disrespect that was given to you during this um, presentation. I just really appreciate the work that you're doing. Um, back in the 90s, I was what was at the time called a natural area crew leader for the Friends of Trees, where I went out on many, many rainy weekends and planted trees throughout Portland. Um, it was fantastic. And then living in East Portland, um, Commissioner Beeson, to your comment about like where do you plant the trees when there's no sidewalks? Um, that's we we basically had trees planted through a tree planting with friends of trees that mm -hmm. happened in the Hazelwood neighborhood, and we didn't have any sidewalks. Um, and but it was just nice. It was something, right? And so I, I feel like it's really important as we're talking about East Portland, as we're talking about Cully, as we're talking about um, East County and Gresham and the other cities. Like we have to be doing this work because we know that with the climate change, the impacts of these events like the heat dome, and um, with the real need to push on the climate justice and racial dress justice pieces of this work. Like we have to we have to just be moving forward. So I just wanna appreciate the work mm -hmm. that's happening in Gresham, the, the partnership with Friends of Trees, and then John, for all the work that we're doing and you're leading here at the county for this. It's incredibly important. It makes a difference to our neighbors. It makes a difference to our planet. And I just appreciate it. Chair, can, yes. I, can I respond? Because um, whether it's 82nd or in Rockwood, it is climate justice and spatial justice. And these are our frontline communities. And it is a health issue because um, those communities get hit first and worst. And that's something I just want it to be a takeaway from this presentation. Yeah. Thank you. I really appreciate it. That's an important point. Yeah, and can I just add one thing too, is I think part of what I also think about, I was thinking you all for planting with us, I think one thing that we highlight through Friends of Trees is the value of community tree planting, right? Like that happens, like when you engage the community, like people feel a sense of ownership. I mean, there's lots of research around this, but I think part of the value of collaboration, working with the county, working with the city of Gresham, but also the city of Portland is a multifaceted approach. When you're thinking about those arterials that was asked about earlier, sometimes a community-based tree planting effort isn't the best way to get large trees along that corridor, but we still need to do that. And I think that's some of the strategies of working with all these partners is they may have a better approach to get trees in those high corridor areas um, while we can do a community-based approach as well. So I think it kind of takes all of us working together that can get at it, but it's also you all coming out and caring and then feel invested in this work that really makes a difference. Thank you very much. I look forward to seeing you all on March 16th. Yeah. Um, with that, we are going to take a short recess as we reconvene to have our um, uh, board discussion and work session on um, those changes to the support of public disclosure. So we stand in recess.
unanticipated revenue coming. familiar with working as we're talking about policy issues um, and so I thought we could start this conversation today with a, a timely topic that is um, moving forward on Metro so Metro is convening a regional housing stakeholder advisory table to have a conversation about the future of affordable housing funding in the region um, and that conversation is a follow-up to the presentation that Metro COO gave to um, uh, Marisa Madrigal gave to the Metro Council on January 2nd and while that has been framed and is framed as a conversation around regional affordable housing options, what is being proposed could have significant impacts on our current supportive housing service measure and the work being done to fulfill those goals of that measure in Washington, Clackamas, and Multnomah counties. So um, Multnomah County, we've begun to have preliminary conversations with Metro and the other regional entities to explore potential changes to the supportive housing service measure, um, the SHS me measure. Um, Chairs Harrington, Smith, and I are in conversation about these changes, and there have been a couple meetings that the three of us have had with Metro about this. But now that um, Metro is moving forward, um, I wanted to make sure that we as a board were fully informed and have had are having board conversations about this as this work moves forward. So as part of the conversation that I've been having um, with the chairs and with Metro, I've made it clear that I expect further discussions with Metro and the key stakeholders that they're convening on any potential changes to the supporting housing service measure are gonna include um, assessments of the impacts in five key areas. So there are a series of some foundational questions um, that I've put forward to Metro to help anchor the further discussions with Metro, the counties, and taxpayers on any ballot measure um, changes. And so the five areas that I've put forward, and these are um, listed here on the handout that you have. Um, one is about improving conditions on the street today. So how can we explore proposed changes to the measure that decrease the number of people experiencing chronic homelessness? That is something that needs to be considered. The second is confidence to achieve the overall goals of the existing measure. So how can we assess the forecasting to understand the true cost of services over the life of the measure to reach and exceed the current goals? We have to be explicit that any proposed reforms or subsequent changes to available revenue do not stall, limit, or otherwise impact Multnomah County's ability to fulfill the original goals of the measure that was passed by voters. Um, the third area that I've um, sent to Metro for um, consideration are our affordable housing goals and priorities. So if there are um, reforms to the measure proposed that consider a wider, a much wider definition of affordable housing than what we currently had, for instance, in Metro's current affordable housing bond or the city of Portland's affordable housing bond, um, we must clearly understand how this will shift, how the shift or how the expansion of the definition of affordable housing will directly impact the number of people sleeping unsheltered whom voters expect to be served with the funds as they're currently allocated. Um, data analysis is needed to understand how developing workforce housing and mid-median family incomes, or MFI, housing will resolve homelessness for people who are chronically homeless. The fourth thing is jurisdictional roles and responsibility. 
So we have to identify if there are any proposed changes to jurisdictional authority and oversight, including Metro's role and possible changes to county administration and how these changes will increase and improve getting services out the door and to the people who need them today. And finally, data-driven decision-making. How is baseline data used to inform the decision-making as this process moves forward? We need to strive to clarify how regional progress performance, a housing needs analysis, and inflow and outflow inform potential reform considerations. So the first meeting of the advisory table um, is happening on March 1st. Chris Fick will be representing my office at the table. So as the county participates in the conversations with Metro, I want to put forward to you all, are there policy questions beyond the items that were just outlined or expansions of the um, items that were just outlined that you wanna be considered, that you wanna make sure are raised up in those conversations? Um, and for context for our discussion, I will say that when this was presented to Metro on January 2nd, you know, they posed the policy questions to their council you know, what questions about outcomes, potential investments, and revenue options um, does the council have about potential future regional housing funding? And what considerations does the council wish staff to integrate into stakeholder conversations and other work to identify potential options and recommendations for moving forward? So that's kind of how they were framing that council, the conversation with their board. Um, but really, you know, I am approaching this in, we absolutely need affordable housing and we have a commitment to taxpayers and to voters to make sure that we have the resources and the plans in place to fulfill the current goals of the supportive housing service measure. So going into um, truly uh, trying to understand um, both what potential um, avenues there are for supporting affordable housing, but, but most, most importantly, and I think primarily, making sure that we, um, we have what we need and the other counties have what they need to um, support the work of the of the current um, measure. So I want to open it up for a conversation. It's not, you know, it's a, it, we can have a, a conversation about this and just share the ideas. Um, and so um, I'll just open up to everyone. I'll, I'll push it to you, Commissioner Beeson, first. Uh -oh. But but um, but really, um, I think what will be most helpful is as we're engaging this conversation. What are you? What are the your important considerations um, that you want to make sure are lifted up in the conversation? Um, well, it's a work session, so I guess I don't have to have answers. For you don't have like to that. have answers. This is just... I, I mean, I think a, a few things. I recognize that the the tax not being permanent um, and the opportunity to change that is an is an important one. I worry about when we commit to capital funding projects with an income income source that is relatively can be relatively volatile. Uh, that then we are committing to housing first and services uh, second, which I just, I think that's a, that, that's a trade-off or something that I hope we can understand because um, uh, that could potentially have impacts on, on meeting those goals. So I want to understand that. Um, I think there's also just a question. We have a pretty well-oiled machine when it comes to developing affordable housing. So it can certainly absorb a lot of revenue quicker than building the infrastructure required um, to address homelessness and all, and all of the factors that are behind it. And so I think of this infrastructure as relatively new that we are trying to build. And so the, the, we, in some ways, we, we haven't been able to prove that we can absorb all the revenue <laughs> uh, to address the, the um, 
the issues that face folks uh, without a home. Uh, that said, I do believe that uh, we, by building more affordable housing, we re ultimately reduce homelessness. So uh, I just, I feel like understanding all of the trade-offs um, is one that I'm inclined to to want to know first. I think the other piece I don't understand is the, the opportunity to think about what does it mean to do sort of capital construction and what does it mean or what are the trade-offs in thinking about uh, most using SHS vouchers like project-based um, vouchers so we could es essentially build housing without, um, uh, without all the way going uh, to the traditional model of affordable housing construction. Those are my early questions. Mm -hmm. And thoughts. Okay. Else? Thank you, Chair. Oh, this is very loud mic. Uh, yes, yeah, so I have kind of um, some of the same questions that Commissioner Beeson has. You, you know, I've been sitting, um, Commissioner Bermandewards and I have been sitting on the, the shelter strategy work group, and I think the thing that leaps out to me is that uh, when that's presented uh, to the City of Portland and to our board uh, coming up here in March, uh, you may or may not be surprised that we are only looking at addressing 50% of unsheltered homeless adults and, and that 50%. So there's already a deficit. So we're going, so I have questions about uh, that uh, because maybe we could, you know, fund 75% if, uh, if that money, if that stream uh, continues. Uh, the other thing is, again, um, the housing first model, and I think that this board, we've talked a lot about a need for transitional housing. Uh, we know that people that, you know, have been chronically homeless for literally decades. We hear from our providers about people literally have to learn how to sleep in a bed. And so, again, I worry about that. Uh, that type of transitional housing and supportive services, uh, that that money will be diverted uh, for, for things like that. Uh, and then I also have questions about uh, how, you know, I know that Commissioner Brim Edwards is uh, researching a sobering stabilization center. I have concerns about what potential funding streams may or may not be used of the SHS money. Uh, and then we know that, you know, there's a treatment bed uh, shortage. So those are questions is like what, how, what and how could we spend uh, the money that's already been allocated uh, in the areas that, that we're exploring now. So that's all I have for right now. Yeah, and I think that is a, um, that is a topic that has come up in the conversations that um, I've had with Chairs Harrington and Smith as well, that we have a lot of really good work happening already in the counties and um, work that is um, projected to expand um, over the course of the measure, right, to fulfill the goals that we have, as well as incorporating, I think, some of the things that you talked about, behavioral health supports and investments. Um, and so how does all of that factor in um, to it? Yeah. Am I already on? Yes. Yep. Okay, great. Um, well, thanks for bringing this topic forward. I was pretty alarmed when um, I found out that Metro was having this conversation. It just seems very premature. Um, and it was interesting that it was couched in the terms of reforms um, because actually what it looked like was just a money grab um, that they couldn't uh, extend there or put out a new uh, housing bond um, because voters um, are 
barely saturated with taxes already, and so this was a convenient place to look. And um, it seems um, I would recommend um, that the county represent, representative um, really push for a slowdown in watching the meeting that they had. It looked like they were targeting um, a, you know, they're gonna set up a stakeholder group. I'm pretty sure the outcome is that they're gonna come to um, and then refer something to November ballot. And to me, it's being done with like very little data. And I was, I was really appreciative though at the, the comments from the, the president um, of the Metro Council because she talked about stability and I, um, just to reference, um, Commissioner Stegman's comment about the shelter strategy group um, we're bringing forward. We've been working for about two months, the city and the county together collaboratively to look about how, how we start moving some of the uh, chronically homeless off the streets into transitional um, housing and, and alternative shelters um, so that they get into a position of receiving basic services, um, supportive services, safety, stabilized, and then get on their path to housing. And um, we clearly have a lot of work to do, so it seems like we're, we're barely just um, getting these strategies in places, place and getting the infrastructure set up. And again, I think the collaboration between the city and county, um, and hopefully with the other cities in the county will have a a strategy that um, we can stand up and invest in and make a measurable difference. Um, and it's interesting because I looked, I this morning looked at the voters pamphlet statements for the measure and clearly it's focused on homeless services. I mean, even in the Metro statement um, in the voters pamphlet themselves, um, they talked about the 38,263 people who are homeless in 2017 as one of the uh, foundational reasons why this measure was needed. And um, so I, I look at it and I haven't seen any data that we are in a path to in 10 years um, address that is issue. So um, one of the things that I would very much like to see is you know, just taking Metro's um, numbers, the 38,263 people who are homeless, um, in 2017 and have a dashboard about the progress that's being made, what we expect um, that's gonna cost in terms of investments. I mean, we, we've made some investments, but obviously other counties have as well. And also look at, and this is an issue I've raised, um, so getting that, so where's our glide path? And I'm also concerned that the Metro Oversight Committee, when they came and presented to us, I think was one of my first meetings on the commission last July, is they basically said 10 years later we could still have you know, in Multnomah County, you know, 5,000 people on the streets. And that was pretty shocking for me to hear because like that was not what was promised to, to voters. Um, I think people were very compassionate and this is, our objective is to move people for home, who are homeless on the streets with, with no services at all and give them a path to housing and supportive services. Um, and so I think to be having a conversation now of like we actually wanna divert some of that money to something else when, um, we're building the plan to address the issue that we told voters we were gonna address. Um, it's problematic. Um, and so I'd, I'd want to see how they see that glide path happening, how that's gonna happen versus we're gonna take some resources and then you guys still figure it out, but you may have less resources. I also would like to see some long-term modeling, and I asked for this earlier related to 
um, the long-term rent assistance. So when we are making commitments for some of the most vulnerable individuals who we've recognized need long-term rent assistance, that the county just isn't gonna be able to just pick that up. So I'm, I'm concerned, and, and we haven't really, be, because every person we add in has a increasing, it's gonna take an increasing future amount of money, we haven't actually done the projections about what that's gonna, going to cost. Um, because in theory, if enough people have long-term rent assistance, it could actually um, consume all the money. It, but we just don't know. And so I think getting those, getting those projections, so we, we, we're not in a position of, say, um, five years from now with a, all we have resources to do is provide that long-term rent assistance because we've made those commitments versus all the other supporting, um, uh, how, the supportive housing services that we've, uh, we know are, are needed. So that would be another thing. I would definitely like to see some objections. And there was no discussion about that in the Metro meeting. Um, I also think um, you know, it's a worthy topic, just in terms of accountability and oversight, since they have a lot of um, oversight of us. Um, they're getting 5%, and they didn't take, they don't appear to be taking 5% less. Um, they're getting 5% of a larger growing amount, so what is that, what is that going to? Um, it appears they're adding a significant amount of staff. Um, and again, what is, I think voter intent was really clearly to focus on the crisis on our streets. The, in Multnomah County, the 6,000 plus people living on the streets, you know, the 315 who died on the streets last, last, last year. Um, so to me, it's, you know, the question about the timing, how it fits overall, and how we're gonna still accomplish our goal. And I, I appreciate the, um, issues you laid out, and I really think that uh, Metro has an obligation before they start this conversation and go straight to the voters, because it did appear that they seem on their way <laughs> to referring something, that they answer these questions of how we're going to address what I think voters gave us um, a very clear direction um, to address. So, the, so those are some of the things that I would want to see, and um, I'm hoping we're very actively engaged in the, in the conversation. Great, thank you. Thank you, I also appreciate having this conversation and that you brought it to the board um, because it is so uh, important and I think um, for me this is a very concerning uh, proposal from Metro. I am unequivocally opposed <laughs> and it, it seems like they are trying to open up the measure to build more stuff while as um, commissioners have described they are kind of um, belying the entire point of the measure which was supportive services I mean it was called supportive housing services measure for a reason um, that's how it was billed to voters uh, as someone who was directly involved in the campaign when it happened and was on a home for everyone during that time I remember it vividly I remember what we told people, every word we said, the talking points handed to me about this measure, and it was basically we know how to support homeless people so they can get off the streets. I remember as a voter what I was told and what I thought I was voting for, and it was for the services. 
I feel like um, too much money has already been diverted toward sort of the longer term, more um, uh, broad problem of homelessness while not addressing the immediate crises and the actual intensive supportive services people need in behavioral health, so addiction and mental health response. Um, and it, there's currently not, in my view, and I think you uh, got to this here in your, um, your points, the accounting for success, uh, and I've said this from the get-go, that there aren't sufficient measures for whether what we're doing in terms of services are actually working for the people who most need those services. So I think there was so much um, that this measure was supposed to cover and we haven't even begun to do that. And so the idea of now sort of smoke and mirrors, diverting those funds, trying to change that conversation is, um, should be a non-starter. Two other things that uh, come to mind. I remember um, when I was chair of the Portland Housing Advisory Commission, I think one of the tension points that uh, affordable housing developers have, and I think we heard this from Commissioner Rubio during our uh, joint session, is that housing providers don't want a building full of permanently supportive housing. So when we're talking about, uh, and they're actually looking for a reduced number of units. And so I think one of the struggles is as we bring units online, those numbers aren't matching up with the people that we need to transition from chronic homelessness. And I don't think we have enough uh, clear ties. So how do we move someone from potentially a voucher into a, into a permanently subsidized unit when we know that they need on ongoing care? I mean, these are folks who, might need support for the rest of their lives, right? Both rent and supportive services. And so uh, to your point, uh, Commissioner Burm Edwards, we should understand the long-term implications. The more often we're able to put them into a unit that's permanently subsidized and then be on the hook for the services they need, I think that helps reduce our costs. But if we're not understanding the impact for the housing developers and housing owners on what that, what that does to the deal, if you will, right? There's a lot of incentive to build 60% units, but not permanently supportive housing units because of the impact that it has on the portfolio and on the balance sheet for that building. I feel like we need to do more work in, in understanding those transitions um, from homeless service provision and formerly homeless service provision to long-term affordable housing. I think we need to do a better job at understanding um, and making those connections. So we are sort of transitioning folks from SHS housing support uh, into just service support. I think we could do a better job at that. The other thing is, I, I mean, we've always heard that workforce housing is a need, but we've also heard that our tax exemption programs do a pretty good job, and we're gonna hear that on Thursday, do a pretty good job at reaching that population. And so I, I just haven't seen the, the demonstration of need uh, for workforce housing, meaning above 80% AMI, as we do at the zero to 30, as we do at the 30 to 60. And since that's the hardest money to raise, I, I don't understand why we would potentially uh, open uh, expand that, that MFI conversation, but you know, I'm always open to having my mind changed. 
also chair from a, a business um, standpoint in my other life as an insurance agent I just got back from NACO and this was brought up at the national level is that we've talked about that builders so if you have a multifamily and you have people with you know uh, with substance use disorder or other uh, physical mental uh, health issues uh, that that is causing losses and insurance companies when you have multiple claims fires things of that nature your insurance will be canceled at some point, these buildings may not be insurable. And that's a much larger problem at the state and national level because if you, like, I mean, there's, insurance companies are pulling out of states. In California, uh, it's very hard to get homeowner's insurance, you know, when we talk about uh, catastrophes and thing, things like that. But it is not uncommon to see insurance carriers pull out of a market because if it's not profitable, they will do just that. And then we've got a much larger problem. Are we gonna self-insure? How are we gonna cover all of those multifamily units? So that's really something that, that weighs heavy on my mind. That is, that's something that was brought up um, in the, some of the conversations that I've been having with providers over the last several months is like this is an urgent, urgent issue for them. Um, their um, insurance um, rates are, are doubling and tripling and they're very worried about it. There was, um, there is a state risk pool ask, yes. right, to make sure that we have enough resources in there so that um, they can have that um, insurance for high-risk folks. And I think it goes back to also your point, um, Commissioner Beeson, about the wraparound services and the actual support um, that, need, that helps people be successful and what that looks like and what resources that takes um, for us to just do that with the, you know, which was really the underlying um, intention of the original support housing service measure, right? It's not just, it is helping different costs for people so that they can stay housed yeah. and also having the services they need so that they can be successful there. Um, so that, that it's a it's a big thing. And it's, you know, I think we all recognize we, we don't have enough affordable housing for people. Like, but but the this, my, my um, understanding of this from the beginning was like that the supportive housing service measure is a real partner to yeah. the affordable housing bonds that were happening at the regional and the city level. It, Oh, I was just going to build off of the this issue of insurance and um, sort of how this is impact how um, the lack of services or not effective delivery of services is really impacting um, our ability to keep people housed, um, which is I think what we really need to focus on because um, you can build new apartments and new housing, um, and if people are unprepared to live in that and don't have the services, um, we actually haven't achieved our goal. And we could set up risk pools, but that's risk pools and everything else to help with an insurance, but that's actually not going to make a difference. I mean, I'll just say I was doing a ride along uh, with somebody from the East Precinct and they took me by an, a brand new apartment building in which there were a whole bunch of vacant units. Um, and it was like, how could that be? These are like actually really nice, apartment units, but um, they also took me into some of the units that were like very severely damaged and like, you know, people just f turning the water on and flooding not only their apartments, but everybody else's. Um, and, you know, clearly people uh, unprepared to live without a lot of support um, in housing. So I, I guess it seems like we're skipping over a piece. Like I say, we haven't solved the piece that I think 
Um, voters clearly were like, yes, we want you to be laser focused on this. We all see what we're, you know, see the, the issue on a daily basis, and um, we're going to support, you know, a pretty substantial tax across the region to address it. So, uh, to, to me, it's like we could build more, you know, units of housing, but we also, and I think more importantly, our obligation is to fill in that other, the other piece to provide those services so people can actually live in those um, units. Because, I'd like to say, I, I think we should be cautionary about setting up risk pools and like we'll pay all the damages versus like go go upstream to like what's causing that. Because it was such a shame to see this brand new building, like you know, some units really really trashed. Um, I to build on that, building on what you had said, um, I think there are two two things there that. Um, over time uh, working on this have been very clear. The, the insurability issue has been a, hugely important for a very long time and I think providers have been screaming this kind of at the wind and not getting um, response from policymakers and recognizing things getting worse and worse and worse and um, I'm glad that there is, that this is finally being discussed at this at this level um, because I think there's been a lot of frustration. If we don't somehow collectively get this addressed, then I'm not sure what our recourse would be. Um, so we need to support and figure out what to do for our providers doing this work. And that ties into the concept of housing first versus, you know, versus shelter now, which I think has been a false dichotomy um, and I think there's been a lot of misunderstanding of what housing first actually is um, because it's a it is a very specific um, approach which involves matching people specifically to the housing they need getting them housing and matching them to the services they need as individuals specifically. And um, that has not been an approach that has been taken at all through, um, you know, historically from the Joint Office of Homeless Services uh, or any of our providers. And, you know, not necessarily understood as I've seen them describe it, as I've seen people on both sides describe it. It's, it's for certain people housing plus the deeply intensive services they need matched to them will help, um, it, it works. But since we don't necessarily, bleh, don't necessarily do it right, when we don't do it right, it, it absolutely doesn't work. And we end up with what we are seeing now with people getting placed in housing, they don't get the services they need, the organizations don't get the funding it takes to actually support them, which is, massively more than we invest. And um, and it's, it's kind of set up for failure. And so when I think about the beauty, you know, the, the promise of the supportive housing services measure, it was that finally we can afford the degree of services people actually need for these deeply in need individuals with many vulnerabilities and we can support them getting off the streets and getting onto that trajectory. 
but the money has not been used that way. It's not been accounted for. Retention is sort of the key metric we should be using. And, and so we've ended up with kind of where we are now and the idea that we would suddenly take money now and redirect it when we haven't done the basics is, um, is, is a problem. What do you think the, uh, um, how do you see, or do we have an idea of how the counties will be able to participate in this work group? Because again, as, as watching the meeting, it appeared like we're gonna pick stakeholders and sort of like a, here's the outcome we're looking for. And so I'm curious about how, um, I see the, the three counties as being major stakeholders because you know ultimately at the end of the day, I think voters and community members across the region are, um, are looking, are gonna hold us accountable, rightly, for um, delivering um, these services and improving the conditions on our streets, not just for our neighborhoods and our community, um, and most importantly for those people who are living without basic services. So I'm curious about what you've heard so far and whether we, need to, pu to push into the conversation more. I'm, I say I'm glad that um, Chris is going to be there on behalf of the county, but also I'm curious about the counties having sort of a unified position yeah. um, on this. Yeah, so that's why, um, a couple different things there. So first, um, this has been something that I've been talking about with Chairs Harrington and Smith for the last couple months. I think we had the first conversation about it with Metro in, sometime in December. Um, it, but it, I will say it was a surprise um, when it was brought before Metro Council on January 2nd, like none of us knew that that was gonna be happening, so then we had a follow-up meeting with them, but we continually to have conversations about this. Um, so Chair Smith is gonna have a representative on the, um, on the uh, advisory table. Chair Harrington herself is gonna be participating in this, and as I said, Chris will be representing Multnomah County, but, and, and I want that, and, and so, we will have that presence there as counties, but also, you know, we continue to have those offline conversations together about what this means and what we need from Metro, really. Um, I will say, um, in the conversations I had, I think there's a lot of alignment in all of us in terms of what we need to see first. So, and I'm happy to share with this, uh, with you after the meeting, but Chair Harrington actually sent some questions to her, her um, commission as well on saying, like, these are the things that I'm, I'm gonna be asking and bringing forward. Um, as part of these conversations, and I think we're all we're all asking that. So, for me, like us having this conversation and continuing to have this conversation as things progress, are going to be really important to making sure that the the county's, um, you know, voice is heard. Uh, but we are, I, but it is a priority, and it is an agreement between um, the you know the other tri chairs and myself to 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 be you know really invested in this. And then I will say there is going to be staff level conversations that are happening. Um, I see Dan Field nodding over there. You know, they are like our joint office, our um, our teams are also participating with with Metro staff and the other county staff around this. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering if we can, um, if there's a consensus around what our concerns are or questions, whether we could, um, as a commission, send a communication to, to Metro, um, just to sort of try and capture the, um, our point of view and what our concerns are, um, and maybe also have that be something that's helpful to Chris as he's at the table with a, we have a, here's what our um, sort of 
consensus concerns are um, and things that we're going to want to want to see out of out of it because that seems like also um, showing up altogether um, with Multnomah County. I also, you know, I'm just going to say I I think it's important and I obviously welcome the other cities' engagement in Multnomah County, but also you know the city the city of Portland. Um, yes, they have their have um, housing in their portfolio, but also the majority of the homeless people in this county are in are in the city of Portland, and so um, making sure that their voices are at the table as as well as in terms of how we're going to serve that pop the population that's still on the streets and dying on the streets every day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's it's um, about I I've heard that um, Metro sort of um, kind of trying to set up. It, it sounds like they're trying to. <laughs> pardon me trying to set up their own version, it seems, of like a joint, a metro office of homeless services or something like that, that they're hiring 34 individuals for their own department, um, which uh, I'm worried about on a number of levels. I'm not sure what their goal, like, and, and it seems like it would tie into this because um, what I, I think a lot about authority, um, what role each, you know, with our multitude of local governments, which role, who is supposed to play, um, how those are coming together, and the idea of kind of Metro setting up yet another level of bureaucracy to filter through when it's not clear what their authority or role is in home, uh, homelessness, aside from passing this, you know, this one measure, what are they doing and how much does that cost and where does that money come from? And I don't know if you know anything about that or it, it concerns me as well. Yeah, so I, I, I think that that question is something like if we're gonna be putting forward a letter is fine, but I think it's also a question that I'm happy to ask um, of Metro sooner rather than later. Um, you know, I think, uh, Commissioner, you referred to the fact that they Metro gets a 5% administration fee off the top, right? And then there's also another 5% that each county puts together to a, a regional, right, to, to regional solutions or regional investments. And I've just, um, since uh, Commissioner Jayapal left, I've been sitting on the tri-county planning body that is supposed mm -hmm. to be determining what those um, dollars should be used for. There's six different, um, areas that they're looking at investment. Some of those are data, some of those are um, landlord retention. There's, a, there's several different ones and I'm happy to share that list with you. It, there, but there hasn't been a, a very, um, there hasn't been anything that's been very concrete. So, so basically the Tri-County Planning Body, in, in, is my understanding of it being um, there for the last couple meetings, has been, you know, we're, we're gonna get these kind of big focus areas that we need to invest on, but then it's up to the counties, because that's the way that it's written, it's up to the counties to actually then make those investments in there so that we can be responsive to, to that. Um, so I don't, so none of, the, none of the positions that they're hiring is coming out of those dollars, because that's actually up to each individual county then to use those dollars for those, those agreed upon goals and purposes, but it is that 5% administration fee. And, and, you know, I think it. I think it is a really important question that we there's a clear understanding of everyone's roles within this, and it, that needs to be a part of this. That's why number 
four bullet point is about jurisdictional roles and responsibilities um, because I think we need to be very clear that there isn't a kind of a, a, a huge transition on that in, that's attempted through this work too. And, and then the other piece is, um, I don't know what the timeline is for moving forward with this measure. I think that, that there's been some kind of conversation about when that would actually move forward and I think part of that will come out of this this group that's being convened. Yeah, I mean, um, and there's slides and I'll just shout out to the county that we actually post all of our presentation slides, um, which Metro does not. You have to actually have to do screenshots of them. Um, but the, in their conversation, they lay out a timeline that has the discussions happening this, this May uh, through this spring and then looking at a referral to November. Like when I watched it as somebody who's been involved in a lot of political campaigns, it's like, oh, this is like they're creating the, the game plan to refer something to no November. And um, that's pretty concerning because it seemed like they'd already come to the conclusion like, yeah, this is great. Um, there's this revenue stream here that we should go for. Yeah. Um, so I, I think we should be engaged in the conversation as soon as possible. I'm glad the other chairs and you are, are talking. Um, I just think we, sh we also um, should ask for right now really the very specific data and we're gonna need this at the county level as well of like where we are, what we need to, where, you know, how much progress we've made and what the cost is gonna be to sort of close that, the gap between what we know is needed and what we're currently doing. And to me, like having any sort of conversations with stakeholders, it's, al it's always easy to spend somebody else's money. <laughs> and that's what it seems like this is. The other thing is I would ask, um, Metro um, to provide us with the polling they did um, that showed what um, you know voters' attitudes were about um, this measure because they clearly aren't going out for they, they have the they have the authority to go out for another bond. I mean, let's just be clear, they have the authority to to do that, but um, their polling must have shown them that voters were not supportive of that. And so then it's like, oh, we're going to just then we'll take some. Yeah. The other money is really dedicated to something else, and um, I think we just should have that all on the table. I, on the, oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I mean, I agree. I think um, this is very premature uh, from Metro, and I mean, and, and Chair, you've alluded to this in your outline, is like, what does this do to the existing 2,300 beds of shelter that we currently provide? I mean, we just went through the SHS unanticipated uh, and we funded the task sites we funded Bybee Lakes uh, you know other shelters like Kent Kenton women's uh, shelter so I'm really concerned uh, you know we're going into a 3% budget deficit uh, so I'm really concerned about what comes from SHS funding versus versus general fund um, and then the other thing, you know, when you talk about partnerships, uh, I've found it very frustrating, uh, the lack of uh, the city of Portland uh, and their permitting process. I mean, it takes literally years to get a project built. 
we don't have that kind of time. So while we are often held to very high standards and it is challenging, I think it's incumbent upon us to hold our partners at the city of Portland to, uh, to expedite this housing. And are we looking at other models of housing that don't take two years from modular housing? There's you know lots and lots of different. And so I'm just not sure that they've, um, you know, they're, they're talking about, uh, you know, I watched their briefing too, Commissioner Brim Edwards, and it, they did say they were going to go out in November. Like, we've not, like, we're just, ha like, we're like, what? <laughs> Wait a minute. Uh, so, I mean, I just don't think that we've been given the opportunity, uh, you know, and granted, we have had our challenges, but there's also a local, national workforce shortage. So there are a lot of things I think that uh, we are all excited to work on and to build up as, as we move forward. Yes. Um, it, that and, um, and just what you raised in terms of the, I've been following the Tri-County Planning Body for, since its inception, um, and the fact that A, they, it didn't launch until so late, like after the measure was passed, B, that they are still, I mean, I don't know how many years has it been now that they are still talking about the idea of which categories we're even gonna think about pursuing to, that does not instill me with confidence. Um, just about that aspect of accountability from the metro level uh, at this point. And so it, that just, you know, that'll be, relates to some of the data question you reference and I think can also be built out to say what what are you what are you doing with this body and what deliverables do you have because in the advisory council if we don't even have that basic baseline agreement moving forward then um, it, it's just even less of a reason to divert funds from the purpose of this measure, which is to support those most vulnerable in getting and retaining housing. I, I do want to go on record and say I think there is a regional role to think about housing in all kinds of ways, so I'm not trying to take away from Metro's responsibility in some ways and to make sure we have a coordinated affordable housing delivery system. I do think sometimes we are, are, we are victims of our own um, focus on the wrong metrics sometimes. I think we've used uh, the affordable housing bond to talk about leveraging other resources. But the problem is if you're trying to build uh, affordable housing for people who need or who are high need and then you're also trying to bring in and braid in all the other kinds of sources, federal tax credits, all those things, we've now encumbered the project by a very traditional sense of metrics and measurements, right, which doesn't necessarily allow for the population we're trying to serve most with SHS dollars to succeed. We have a whole housing industry that sort of grew up after we defunded public housing. And so the way that all of those portfolios are put together is in a very sort of commercial approach. And I think then we don't get to ask ourselves uh, some of the hard hitting questions around, do we actually wanna, do we care about the long-term success of fewer number of people than just uh, getting a building built um, and, and putting the people in? Because there are, 
plenty of people at 60% MFI that don't need any services. And we fill a lot of affordable housing buildings with those people because we hire third-party for-profit property management companies to fill those buildings. We are looking at pro formas that's expecting a certain amount of or a certain amount of damage, but we are unable to ac account for greater amounts of damage. And we're just not used to building the kinds of housing that I think many uh, folks that we are hoping to reach need built to be successful. So I, I do still think there's this disconnection between um, some of the ways we talk about leveraging um, our resources to serve the greatest number of people, but not actually examining um, who we're talking about when we say that. And so I, I think that there's um, there's opportunity to do a little bit more uh, in-depth analysis of that. But uh, I, I think it's just, um, you know, we're, we have 40 years of sort of the the ballooning of the Community Development Corporation and then the shrinking into, a, instead of being neighborhood-based and sort of deep intensive services, they are uh, running on developer fees. And so that means get the project done and move on to the next one. And that's a structure I think that we haven't really grappled with, how we uh, think about what, what's missing in that marketplace. Can I? On that, I think that is what, that's just here, here. Um, and I think that's some of what, you know, when I've mentioned wanting to see a holistic plan and that kind of thing, which, um, you know, I understand that you're working on, uh, that there is that concept of putting all of those pieces together holistically, that it isn't just about, you know, if we put money into task sites, like that's great, you know, it's a great project, then it can accomplish good things. If we put the money into this, type of housing we can do a good project for this small group of people how do we put it all together looking at the fact that we have a billion whatever amount of money it is hundreds of millions of dollars so that and understanding the implications of investment in each aspect of the whole so that we're using our money most effectively to help the most people um, all along the continuum and so I So um, I appreciate that. I wanted to draw, thank you. Okay, so first of all, thanks for this really good discussion. It's been great. I feel like there's a lot of alignment on what people want to see and also the perspective on, on our concerns about this moving forward and especially at the, the pace at which it's um, currently being considered. Um, I did want to draw your attention to a couple different things. I mean, one is, um, so last night, Dan Field sent the, um, the latest quarter um, updates for the supportive selling service measure, so there's really good progress happening. I have asked the joint office to start putting together that work of like what actually is the need through the rest of the life of, the, of our supportive housing service measure for the um, our current investments as well as future investments that we're going to be needing to fulfill um, the work as part of the homelessness response system um, that will include this board, that will include the city of Portland's um, into it. Um, but I do think we have to recognize that there are a lot of things that were currently funded by uh, one-time only general fund dollars for the city, um, some from the county as well, and ARP dollars that we have to really, um, you know, think about how we're going to pay for those in the long term, or are we going to be okay with those resources um, going away, which I don't think people are, right? Um, so, right, so, um, so I think there's that. Um, and then in addition, so we'll have that first meeting on the, on the first of this, and so we'll... Um, 
you know, get some information after that, I think we'll, um, that we'll be happy to provide to this um, board. And then, um, as been mentioned, we are having on March 12th, the joint session and briefing between the Multnomah County Board of Commissioners and the Portland City Council. So we'll be having that on March 12th. And then on April 4th, we are gonna have uh, the Supportive Housing Services um, Measure Oversight Committee come and report to this board. So that's gonna be, so there'll be additional um, conversations and then I plan to schedule more work sessions on this and other topics as we roll forward. But really wanted to do that. Um, to have that chance to um, just start this conversation today, but know that there's gonna be a lot more opportunities to continue the conversation both ourselves and, and with our city partners. Yeah, and Chair, I just wanted to thank you for the opportunity for us to have this really open dialogue. And thank you, Dan, I did get uh, your email and uh, I glanced at it, but I'll, I'll read through it, but uh, it looks really good, so I appreciate the update. So, do you want me to? No, I was just, um, as I already made the point. There's, um, so the other thing that I'd like for Metro is um, for us to ask, like, I'd like to know how they spent the the 5%. Like I say, it's been 5% of a growing number. Because, and, and how is that actually, is the counties being the direct service providers? Like, how is that actually supporting us doing our work and achieving our objectives? Because Oftentimes, it seems that that's not the case. And um, like I say, if you, you know, I listen to the oversight meetings um, that they have on a regular basis, and you know, there's lots of new staff being hired. And again, I look at like for how is that being in service to the counties? And I look specifically at Multnomah County because we have a bigger homeless population um, than the the other counties. Like, how is that? Supporting us in, in a measurable way to make a measurable difference for the people who are living in the streets without services and for our communities um, who and like I say our, our community that I know voted overwhelmingly for this because they viewed this as like the most important you know and they have all the public surveys have shown like the most important issue going forward for our community and it's it's combined with all the behavioral health issues and and neighborhood safety and everything else. So it's not like, hey, if we don't do that, we still could get after all our behavioral health issues and also neighborhood safety because they very much are um, inter intertwined. All right, well, thank you so much for this conversation today. I really appreciate everybody's thoughts and uh, conversation. Like I said, we'll continue it on this topic. We'll also continue these on other topics. Um, with that, we are adjourned. We'll see everybody.